speaking of buttons and knobs and switches, we are going to talk about a whole new conceptualization of physics, which is exciting. And as much as it, I wish it was exactly the same as, you know, sexual energy and healing energy being exactly the same thing, um, we're going to have an expert on who's going to set us straight about, actually, they're a little bit different. This is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is sexploration. Explore. Play. This is Sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com. One of my favorite token straight guys is joining me, and I haven't seen him in a long time. It's Russ, the rock and roll nurse. I'm glad to have you on the show. Russ. Well, thank you. Thank you. I was a physics major for about a year in this college. so appropriate. Oh, yes. Because we're going to have a healer on talking about energy, and it has something to do with physics. Yay. Isn't that I love fun? physics. Yeah. Science. I know. Science is fun. So we're here at the new FCC Free Radio Studios. Sorry I didn't give you the memo on the switch. I got here in time, just barely. <laughs> you did. It was really amazing. Thank you for, for making it. I forgot to bring my nurse hat, though, to make it official. But I guess that doesn't go over the Oh, the nurse the hat is anyway. there, actually. I can see it in my mind. <laughs> and uh, we are live on Facebook. Thank you, John Miller, oh. for doing that. I want to introduce our guest. It's Mike Sententia, and he runs Healing Lab. He's the founder of Healing Lab. I love Healing Lab, but I don't know exactly how to describe it because, okay, what is energy and how do you use it for healing, right? Sure. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. My so pleasure. The word energy gets used in so many different ways, especially in the Bay Area, right? Mm -hmm. We might say, you know, oh, wow, that party had such great energy, right? And we don't mean that a, a chi healer came in and set a <laughs> wonderful field of chi at the start of the party. We Nor mean do we like, are even talking about electricity, yeah. right? which is another kind of energy. Right, right. So, so many different meanings. When I'm talking about energy, what, what, what I mean is it seems that living cells produce this subtle energy field. And depending on the state of the cells, if they're you know, healthy or infected or inflamed, it creates a different type or signature of this energy. In the East, it would be called chi or prana. Mm -hmm. In the West, we don't have specific words like that. We just call it energy or in the scientific community, biofield energy. And so depending on the state of the cells, it produces a different type of this energy by adjusting the energy around injured tissue, it can feed back and adjust that tissue over time, adjust the cellular processes, influence it. And that's the basis for healing. In terms of erotic energy, if we adjust the energy around nerves, it can change a person's mood, it can change how a person experiences sensations, it can even create energy orgasms. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about that later. Yeah, we want to talk about both your work with healing and how you are able to influence uh, the healing process by changing the, the energy field. Um, I think also talking about consent is important because you use a lot of consent work in your healing processes, um, but then also in your personal life, I imagine that 
as you're teaching workshops, I, I imagine that's also pretty important. Absolutely. Consent is crucial. I mean, in healing work, it's important that the person feels safe. It's important that the person knows when they're going to be touched. Even if, you know, the person has said, the client has said, you know, go ahead and just do your thing. Each time before I touch them, I just give them a heads up. Hey, I'm going to touch your ankle. And I give them a second to respond. In my personal life, you know, especially around anything with sex, consent is really crucial. And I want to talk a little bit about how to feel like a confident, sexy man as you are, you know, talking about consent. Right. Because if you're always interrupting the energy and mm-hmm. like asking someone, is it okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? I can see how some men would be really uncomfortable with that because it's kind of a buzzkill. Yeah, yeah. For for me, you know, growing up, the closest thing that I had to consent was asking permission. And so when I moved to the Bay Area and I started getting really into the, the sex positive community and, and, and consent culture, the only thing I had to go with was asking permission. Right. And, and that's not a sexy thing. Right. You, you ask permission of your mother and your teacher and your boss. And it took me a long time to, you know, a few years to really figure out how to go about consent in a whole different way and how to feel really good and sexy doing it. And for me, the key was changing how I asked, right? If I'm saying, can I do this? May I do that? Well, I'm always kind of stopping and and waiting for permission. If I say, hey, how would it be for you if I kissed you? How would it be for you if I pinned you against the wall? and kissed you hard, right? And then I'm asking how it would be. I'm getting the information that I need to know if I'm like good to go ahead and do that thing. But I'm not saying, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? Right. Saying, it's hey, not like you're How asking, would it be for you? Right. Like you're not interrupting mm-hmm. to make it feel like you're coming from a place of weakness and it's more of an invitation mm-hmm. and kind of a, a sensual thing. Yeah. Yeah. You could even describe what you want to do. So let's get back to your healing work. I know that you work with a lot of different medical conditions, particularly insomnia and joint pain and multiple sclerosis and autoimmune disorders. Now, Russ, you work as a nurse, is that right? I do, yes. And what kinds, what kinds of patients do you work with usually? Well, I'm a hospice nurse, so it's, it's uh, usually people in a pretty vulnerable That's time the in their lives. That's life, right? Yes. Uh, you, you know, we don't always predict don't it, right? It but um, but uh, but yeah, the the idea is that there's been a diagnosis, and the expectation is that this person has six months or less. Mm-hmm. Although we've had people on our service for six years, so we, we get it wrong plenty of times. Uh, it's not an exact science prognosticating, but but um, we get involved with Reiki quite a bit, mm. uh, which is a different kind of energy. It, it doesn't involve touch. People have really, really responded well to it. I've heard that a lot of cancer patients do well with Reiki. And it's, it's the kind of thing where Western science doesn't really, quote unquote, accept Understand it. Understand it or accept it. Right. But if it works, even if it's a placebo effect, I, I consider it something that we need to work with. Right. Take seriously. What's the difference between biofield healing and Reiki, Mike? Reiki is actually one flavor of biofield healing. Reiki is a brand name Uh of one of the types of biofield healing. There's actually a lot of wonderful scientific research 
not just case studies, but placebo-controlled trials, and not just that, but we've taken cell cultures, uh, osteoblasts, uh, uh, bone cells, okay. applied therapeutic touch, which is essentially a rebranding of Reiki uh-huh. uh, to, to make it more acceptable for hospitals. Taken therapeutic touch, applied it to those bone cells in Petri dishes, and it affects the bone cells. It affects how much minerals they absorb. Mm. Yeah, in a way, you know, when, when I started doing this, when I, st- when I switched from doing this as a hobby to doing it professionally, I was really worried. Like, what, a, you know, I've been helping people. I, I've, I've had people who had chronic hives and chronic pain and things like that recover overnight. But what if that was just placebo and coincidence? Before I quit my job and start doing this, <laughs> I want to know for sure, right? And so I started reading the literature. And when I found stuff like cell culture studies and plant studies and studies on energy changing the, the acidity of water, um, it blew me away. And it gave me this confidence that, okay, this is real stuff. The, the osteoblast study, by the way, uh, they always publish this probability that it was just coincidence, right? Maybe... These cell, maybe these cells were just going to change how they absorb minerals, and it just happened that, that we did the energy. The probability of it being a coincidence was less than one in a thousand. Wow. Yeah. And so that struck me. Hey, this is a real thing, and this is what I want to do. That's really exciting. Let's go back to the different kinds of healing that you do, and how do you influence the cells? How do you, infl- how do you actually do the healing? That's a great question. So the first step, I mean, after all the the consent and the talking and all that stuff, the first step of doing the energy for most systems of energy is they channel, in Reiki they call it a one universal energy, uh, but they have a default energy that they channel. It's the same for everyone, or maybe they adjust it in some small ways, and they hope that it helps. And it often does, and and it's it's so wonderful to see. Um, I take a slightly different approach. My background is in science, so my first step is to observe. I've developed a set of techniques that let me connect to uh, the person's tissue. If I'm working with, say, somebody's knee, I'll touch their knee or hover my hand near it, and I'll make a bunch of energetic connections and read the energy of their tendon and ligament and cartilage and bone and nerves, and I'll see what's going on. Inflamed tissue has a distinct signature and I can recognize where is that inflamed energy signature in the knee and then I either channel some energy or directly connect to that tissue and adjust its energy often it's to make that tissue's energy look like the energy of healthy tissue sometimes it's something a little more complicated and we'll talk about autoimmune conditions later because that's where we get to the complicated stuff. Right. So can you describe what it is like for you to sense into tissue? Like, what do you feel? Like, what is your experience of, I mean, like, I know how I sense my fingers, but I, I have trouble imagining what it's like for you to sense into someone else's skin. Like... Do you start perceiving their skin as your skin, or how does that work? So it's different for everyone. And for me personally, it's tactile. If you imagine that you're blindfolded and somebody hands you some sort of a weird object, a stuffed animal maybe, Mm -hmm. and you feel around the thing with your fingers, 
And in your mind, you will begin to develop a, an image of what the shape of this stuffed animal is, what it looks like, what parts are smooth, what parts are, are fuzzy, what parts are, are more sharp. And it all comes from tactile. For me, when I connect to a person's uh, knee or when I connect to a person's energy, I'm feeling the different tissue. I'm kind of feeling around with my energy recognizing which parts are smooth and which parts are rough and inflamed and which parts are more activated. And I build up this sense in my mind of what the, the overall shape is. And it's all, the, the, the technical term is proprioception, the sense of where our body is. And that's the closest sense that energy has for me. So like someone comes to see you mm -hmm. and they are sick can you tell the difference in their body between healthy tissue and not healthy tissue? And what does that look like? So the first thing to realize is that I'm not a doctor and I don't diagnose. Um, that said, yeah, I have a pretty good sense of what tissue is healthy and what tissue is unhealthy. Inflammation has a unique signature. And inflamed cartilage versus inflamed tendon, yeah, they look different because they're different tissue. But there are similarities. It is obvious to me now after doing this. I've been working with energy for over 25 years. I've been doing healing work for, for close to two decades. It's now obvious to me when I see inflamed energy. When I work with autoimmune conditions, and the inflammation comes not from impact or from physical stress, but from a chemical reaction driven by the person's immune cells, that has a slightly different signature of inflammation. And when I adjust the person's energy, I need to make a different adjustment. Matching the, the, what's going on in the person's body is crucial for getting a big impact. When I'm working with autoimmune clients, I also see a distinct energy near the inflamed tissue that I believe corresponds to their immune system. I always see this in autoimmune clients. I never see this in anybody else. And adjusting that energy... Seems so to have you're a big saying impact. that when you have someone with multiple sclerosis, like me, by the way, by the way, I have multiple sclerosis, and that's one of the reasons how I know Mike so well is that he uh, he's been working with me. So you like you see me, and you kind of feel into my body and my energy, and it looks different than another person that doesn't have. I multiple remember sclerosis. the first time that I worked with you. This was my first time working with anyone who had MS, mm -hmm. and. I've worked, you know, I've been working with people with all sort of different pain and inflammation for years. Uh, I, I've worked with people who had inf nerve inflammation because of like a slipped disc and the disc was pressing against their spine mm -hmm. and the nerves there were inflamed. But looking at your nerves with multiple sclerosis, it was an entirely new energy signature. It mm -hmm. took me one session to just get used to looking at that signature to kind of align my view it's like you know adjusting the the, the knob on a microscope or binoculars to like Getting get everything clear mm -hmm. yeah it took me like an hour hmm. to be able to get really clear on the signature in your nerves but that's been key to developing healing techniques for you because you've seen a similarity with other people that have uh, autoimmune disorders because it lets me see the similarity with other autoimmune disorders. I've done work with hives and psoriasis and others. And because it lets me compare what exactly is the difference in the energy signature of your nerves versus 
the nerves of someone who doesn't have multiple sclerosis. It lets me figure out exactly what adjustments to make to take the energy around your nerves and make it look like the energy around non-multiple sclerosis afflicted nerves. It also lets me... Uh, Can you uh, at all describe how to do that? <laughs> that sounds like a pretty mind-bending thing to describe, but I would love for you to try. <laughs> sure. I want you to imagine a symphony, uh-huh. right? There's all these different sounds. That's like a full energy signature, right? The energy signature of a nerve is like a symphony. And when I adjust, what I'm doing is I'm teaching myself to listen for each instrument and to go, oh, the, the cello sounds normal, but the violin is out of tune. If I go in without doing that first, I can apply some general broad energy that'll just kind of help everything. Mm-hmm. But once I do that, once I realize that it's the violin that's out of tune, but the cello is fine, I can make much more precise adjustments. I can make deeper adjustments that have more impact on the cells. And I can dial in exactly the right thing to adjust that orchestra, that, that energy signature, back to a healthy place. Now, I've been skipping the most complicated part. And that is, energy does not create disease. Energy is the result of disease. So So, the energy is off, and it's because of the disease, not the other way around. Exactly. And what that means is that if all I do is change the person's energy to look like the energy of healthy tissue... It's not going to work that fast or it's, that it's well. It's not going to work that fast. It's not going to work that well. And especially if, it's not gonna as work. in multiple sclerosis, right. there is a process in the body which is pushing that the tissue energy. toward unhealthiness. Right. Just setting the energy to healthy isn't going to cut it. Right. And that's part of the challenge of dialing in the right signature, part of why I have to get such a clean view So we can talk a little bit about multiple sclerosis, just in case you don't know what it is. Um, Multiple sclerosis is where the body's immune system has something wrong with it. It's maybe like exacerbated, it's inflamed, and it starts going after the body's own healthy tissue. For me, I start having like tingling and numbness in my hands and on my face. And I also have some inflammation in my optic nerve, which makes it a little bit different uh, for me to have contrast vision is a little off. And then sometimes when I'm looking at something that's red, it looks brown. But oftentimes I'll have a relapse and things will get worse and I'll have some trouble. It's a little bit like... When you have something plugged in and then the the connection is off and it starts to crackle and fray and, and not do very well. Um, but then, you know, parts of my body and I think my, my internal electrical system will repair itself and I'll start to be able to reroute my nervous system, as it were, and like function better. And so it's kind of a process where... A lot of the people with the kind of multiple sclerosis that I have, which is called relapsing, remitting, um, will go through maybe some kind of stressful time where, you know, we'll have some trouble. And if you have more stress or you don't get enough sleep, you're more likely to do worse. And if you, you know, meditate, do some yoga and have less stress in your life, um, you're more likely to do better and recover. And, you know, that's why we... Don't smoke cigarettes and 
don't stay out too late and, you know, mind your P's and Q's physically so you can recover. So you're saying it's the immune system that's out of balance and you can actually influence the immune system in the mind or... I imagine that the immune system is a difficult thing to find because it's all over your whole body, right? Sure. Yeah. It is all over your whole body, yes. So that's Russ, the rock and roll nurse. Yes. And <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the immune system is, I mean, it's in your central nervous system, but it's also, you know, in your nerves, in your right. thyroid. And, and, and a lot of right? people have issues, autoimmune issues. Mm-hmm. The, the most common problem might be allergies. Mm-hmm. Just, and that can run the gamut. You can have really, really terrible allergies. You can have deadly peanut allergies. Or you can just have a very light hay fever. So when you go out, you get the sniffles or something. Mm-hmm. But it's all about the body's own immune system overreacting in a sense mm-hmm. and, and maybe overgeneralizing a little bit but that's the way I think of it as the, the system which serves an excellent purpose at protecting us from foreign invaders coming into our bodies but sometimes it, it doesn't it, it, it uh, starts to not distinguish between foreign and host right well because we live in such a germ-free environment it's hard for our bodies because they're used to going after tons and tons of pathogens but now we boil everything and we have antibiotics and things are starting to get a little bit haywire and the body has really powerful defenses and i just imagine my immune system as like this trained killer <laughs> who really needs a hobby <laughs> <laughs> well said and you're trying to like actually turn it down so you're saying that most people have uh, Mike has s- told me on uh, on previous occasions that it he needs to like turn down the immune system to get something healthy going because it's usually turned up too high yeah so the first thing I want to mention is that part of why Healing Lab exists is because I so so want to take all of the these techniques and work with chemical biologists and verify that the energy that I use uh, intending to reduce immune activity actually reduces immune activity and then tweak it in 20 different ways and find the optimal version that, that has the biggest impact right um, and I haven't done that work yet so I, I just want to Throw that out there. You're trying to get into a scientific study. You're going to create one, but not exactly. Yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. So what happens is when I, you know, uh, the first time I did, I worked with a, an autoimmune person, a person with an autoimmune condition. It was uh, my partner had developed chronic hives. Uh, she was a nurse, and from exposure to latex and adhesives and working mm-hmm. night shifts and all that, she developed the, the, this horrible rash and itching all over her body. And we, neither of us thought that I could do anything about it, right? I helped her with knee pain, but hives is complicated. But uh, she was miserable. She mm-hmm. was getting the best Western mes- medical care and still getting worse. Mm-hmm. And so I gave it a try. And I channeled some default healing energy that I kind of use everywhere. And her itching came... Is this came, kind of related to Reiki? Yeah. So th- th- this would be, you know, I'm, I'm not Reiki certified. This is not specifically Reiki, but, but this is the same sort of approach, right? What, one universal energy, it tends to help, right? Mm-hmm. And her itching came down from an eight to a seven, which I consider a failure. 
right? Changing by one. Oh, one little notch. Yeah, doesn't, yeah, one little notch that doesn't even you? count. Yeah, right. Okay. Because um, it could be her placebo effect. It could be her yeah, just her yeah. awareness and feeling like someone's paying attention to you, and so you feel better. Exactly. But because I have this whole other system of healing where I'm not just channeling one energy, where I'm connecting to the person's body and observing what's going on and making precise adjustments. I came back half an hour later and I connected to her nerves. And instead of focusing on the skin that was inflamed, I focused on the nerves that were carrying the itch signal. Oh, and you turned down the itch I used signal. some energy on those intending to just calm them down. And her itching came down from an eight to a four. And significant. Yeah, and so then I taught, uh, I, I took that energy that I'd developed. I need to introduce a new term here. So, so every system of healing has this concept of a, a source of energy that we channel. In Reiki, they call it the universe, and they just have one universal source. Mm. Uh, other systems will call it a matrix or an egregore. Uh, Carl Jung's collective unconscious includes this concept of a, a, source, uh, a, a source that you can channel and tap into. And my term for it is ethereal software, because mm -hmm. I want to suggest that we can understand how it works and upgrade it. And so I took this energy that I developed for her nerves, and I programmed it into my ethereal software, and I taught her how to channel it so she could, you know, dose as needed on this energy. And for two weeks, it worked great. And, and her itching was, you know, down at a, a four out of 10. It was nice and manageable. She was super happy. And then it stopped working. And I came back and, and I looked at what was going on in her nerves. And there was this whole new energy signature that I sometimes see in clients with chronic pain and chronic autoimmune conditions. It was like the, the energy was not quite aligned just right. What does that mean? Um, it means that it was aligned pretty close. It means that the energy was pretty close to what she needed, but we needed to tweak it a little bit. And so I added a couple of extra signatures based on what was now, what I was now seeing in her nerves. I added a couple of extra signatures and the next, uh, by the way, energy signatures is like the, the unit of energy, the type of energy. So is that like a color? Is yeah, color yeah. You can think of it as a color maybe? or a wavelength or in the symphony metaphor, it would be another instrument. Sound? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I added another instrument to the symphony okay. um, or another color to the, the painting. And the next morning, she woke up without hives for the first time in almost a year. And what did you add exactly? One of the challenges of doing this, and especially of teaching this, is that we do not talking have... Talking about it on the radio, maybe. And talking about it on the radio, <laughs> is that we do not have a good language for describing different energy signatures. If I asked a chemist to you know, describe what, uh, uh, what is in this drug that makes it effective. They could tell you the, the different chemicals. atoms. Right. And we don't have language for the atoms of energy yet. So what I can tell you is that I looked at the energy of her nerves. I paid special attention to the unusual energy signatures there. And I made some of my own, so, some energy signatures that were kind of the inverse Right? If you think about a wavelength of sound, mm -hmm. and then you make another sound that is the opposite of that. It'll make it quiet. Exactly. That's how noise-canceling headphones work. Work, right. Um, so I did that for the energy. Mm. And the next day, she woke up without hives. 
Later on, she would still have uh, occasional outbreaks when she would work a night shift and be especially stressed. Mm -hmm. And so I added another signature. What I did is I connected to her skin again, and I looked nearby, and that was the first time that I spotted this signature for immune activity, for the, the immune cells attacking her skin. And just like adding the, the, the inverse signature, uh, the, the, the noise, the, the the noise, noise canceling, canceling signature, signature mm-hmm. I did the same thing for that and brought that activity down, or at least that was the intent, and she went into complete remission. She stopped having outbreaks. Forever? Forever. Oh, wow, that's really nice. Yeah. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about what energy is and how you can, because I think what's happening for me is like, Mm -hmm. I understand you're saying the word energy signature. You know, I kind of go back to my physics and I'm like, well, light is a particle and a wave and then electricity is electrons. And so like, what is energy? And I know we're probably going to have to get back to this idea about what energy is and you're just sensing it through your hands. Like, how does that work? Sure. So I'm going to. That's a whole bunch of really excellent questions. Right. And you, like, I remember when we were talking in in Dolores Park and you're like, well, actually, this creates a problem. Like, it's a new way of looking at energy for, um, like, it changes the way that Einstein's theory of energy and the way that we we talk about energy. You're you're stealing my punchline. (laughs) <laughs> not really because i don't know what i'm talking about so all right so so the first thing is when i'm sensing energy it's sort of with my hands but what i'm really doing is making these tiny connections everybody who works with energy uh has this concept of a connection and and, and it's like if energy is electricity the connection is the wire if energy is you know water connection is the tube that it flows through right the connection carries the energy and when people send energy through the air they're using a connection whether they're consciously aware of it or not and what i do is i make these connections and i don't put energy on them i leave them quiet and i let them absorb a tiny amount of energy of whatever they're connected to same way a thermometer absorbs a tiny amount of heat to read the temperature and when they absorb that energy I can read its signature. I can feel what type of energy it is. And that lets me map out what's going on in a person's tendons and bone and cartilage and and nerves and the energy of all those tissues. So that's how you sense whether or not someone is feeling good or not. Or what's wrong with them. Yeah, that's the technique that I use to get this precise tissue by tissue view of energy. If I just felt energy with my hand, all I could do was get a sense of like, you know, how does their Warm, chest feel? How, how does their stomach soft. feel? I couldn't dial into individual tissues. Right. Now, the other thing that you raised is what is energy? Totally. You know, we, we have a physicist or, or, or somebody who took some physics. I'm not, a little, <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I am far from being a, an accomplished physicist. <laughs> um, um, but they, they, you can play one on TV. <laughs> And so the question is, you know, what, what is this energy? And I've seen lots of attempts to try to explain it in terms of electromagnetism or, you know, so, something else that, that's in contemporary science. As someone who actually, I also have a background in physics. Uh, my first job after grad school was doing genetic programming and quantum computing at Sandia National Labs. So 
quantum computing involves a lot of quantum physics, so, so I do have training in this. Hmm. Uh, and every single one of those attempts to explain this energy in terms of contemporary physics does not work. And here's the thing. It's easy to get this impression that science is static, that, that, that science is a bunch of answers that you memorize for a test so you can get your degree. The fact is, science changes all the time. Well, and we don't really know anything. Well, I think we know a lot. Well, okay. <laughs> we sort of do, but there's so much that we can't describe and so much that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance... Do you remember, I don't know, less than 100 years ago when people believed that women couldn't have orgasms or that women didn't have orgasms? Mm -hmm. And science was like, well, I don't know. I don't think it's possible for women to have because they don't have whatever. I don't know. They They brought a bunch of women into the lab and and in the least sexy conditions observed that nobody had orgasms. (laughs) And they were like, like, see, we proved it. (laughs) Exactly. And then, you know, like we've had to work so hard and do so much research and so much feminism and so much I guess I know someone who's actually had an orgasm in an MRI machine so it proves that <laughs> lots of things are possible that science really you know hasn't hasn't particularly put a beat on yet that's awesome you know yeah so I'd say that that's a case of science getting it wrong and certainly science does get it wrong and it has the ability to self-correct but there's a whole nother version And the term for this is scientific revolution. Every few generations, we encounter a phenomenon that's missing from the science of the day. And there's a predictable pattern. And this is Thomas Kuhn, by the way, K-U-H-N. First, it is dismissed and resisted. And then eventually it is researched and accepted. And then 100 years later, it has created breakthroughs in science and breakthroughs in technology to where we couldn't imagine a world without it. The most recent example is probably quantum physics. It came from all these bizarre phenomena with photons that were initially resisted and dismissed, but eventually, through replicating it and through curiosity, it became part of our understanding of the universe. And most people don't realize this, but quantum physics is what gave us transistors that drive our phones and computers and internet. Before that, now, what is quantum physics? I mean, is it the multiverse? Is it the string theory? Uh, so, so multiverse is part of is one explanation of quantum physics. Uh-huh. String theory is kind of the next thing that might come after quantum physics if it turns out to be correct. Right, well, we um, don't know. But we don't know if it's correct because it doesn't have any. It's it, it's a mathematical thing right now. It's not uh-huh. something that, that actually has experimental results. Right. Um. But I want to talk about scientific revolutions. Okay. So before that, uh, uh, and there's been a lot of them. Uh, uh, Evolution was a scientific revolution. Um, Chemistry, when chemistry replaced alchemy, that was a scientific revolution, and there's a great story there. But the one I want to tell you about is in the 17th century, when breakthroughs in glassmaking led to the first lenses. Mm. And... Uh, Anton van Leeuwenhoek, he was a Dutch weaver, and he bought some lenses so he could inspect his thread to make better cloth. And then he turned around and he started looking in blood and saliva and just anything he could get his hands on. He put the lenses in a series and invented the first microscope. He was the first human to see single-cell organisms. And this led to the germ theory of disease. 
So he could actually say, look, there is something that's making you sick. It's not just that's God, the thing. a curse. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. He couldn't. He could say, look, there are tiny things. He called them animalcules, mm. like animal and molecule smashed together. Oh, uh, there are tiny things in saliva and blood, but nobody could actually see them make you sick. So 200 years later, in the 19th century, um, Ignaz when Semmelweis. We had better microscopes? We still didn't. 200 years <gasps> later, in the 19th century, we were still debating the germ theory of disease. Huh. We still believed that people got sick because of bad air or spirits or demons or, or a whatever. Curse from God. Yeah, curse from God. And Ignaz Semmelweis was a physician, he ran some medical centers, and he had a problem. His patients kept dying after surgery. Mm. Actually, in only one of the medical centers, the one with the doctors, the one that had just the, the, the midwives and the nurses, they were fine. But what he realized is the doctors did autopsies in the morning and then surgery in the afternoon. And he was like, you know what, guys? Maybe we should, should wash our hands. The, right. right? And, yeah. and he instituted hand washing at his medical center. Death rate went way down. Everybody recovered from surgery. And he then started advocating that doctors everywhere should do this. The medical community was offended. The the, the quote is, but sir, a doctor is a gentleman, and a gentleman's hands are always clean. Oh, he was driven out of seriously bad science. Yeah, he was driven out of medicine over this. And it wasn't until after his death that we finally realized that washing our hands was a good idea. You really should wash your hands, even though it goes against your previously conceived notions about cleanliness and gentlemanliness. (laughs) And so we see this pattern over and over. Right? We we, we discover something, it is resisted sometimes for five years, sometimes for 200 years. But once it's accepted, 100 years later, it would be unthinkable to us to live in a world without hand washing. Right. To live in a world without transistors, to live in a world without chemistry, all of these things, right? Biofield healing, energy healing, is at the early stages of the next scientific revolution. We are in this deep place of resistance. And that's exactly where well, we're supposed to be. Well, a lot of people be. don't believe that it even could be real. Exactly. Like, clearly, it's just the placebo effect. Today's physics, today's chemistry, Today's biology has no place for biofield energy. It cannot explain how me thinking and touching a person affects their multiple sclerosis. It cannot explain that. And it's totally understandable that that creates a lot of resistance and a lot of skepticism. It's totally understandable, in fact, correct, that people are not going to be convinced by case studies. It is far more likely that any one case of a person recovering after energy healing is due to coincidence or placebo than to some missing part of physics. You know, our physics is pretty good. But here's the thing. One, there's been a lot of wonderful research on biofield energy. I'm just going to give you like the the one-minute version. Cell culture studies, I was telling you about those earlier, where Mm -hmm. it affects bone cells in a Petri dish. They're in a Petri dish. They're not affected by placebo. And it's less than a one in a thousand chance that it's coincidence. Oh, you're saying that they don't have beliefs. They right. can't believe they're, they're that the medicine works because it's dish. a bone cell. It doesn't <laughs> they don't have a know brain what to you're bear. doing. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, that makes sense. There's, uh, uh, and that was um, Javeri, J-H-A-V-E-R-I. 
Uh, there is uh, Melinda Connor did some wonderful research with plant clippings. She took plant clippings, put them in water, had 10 healers do distance healing. They weren't even in the same room. Mm-hmm. They were just doing their energy at half of those plant clippings in water. The other ones, the ones that didn't get the energy healing, they all died within three weeks, 21 days. So you might think, well, how long did the other ones live for? Did they live for 23 days, 25, 30? No. They all lived for the full 90 days of the study. And some of them even sprouted roots. Hmm. Plant clippings. They don't know what you're doing to them. Right. They don't believe that this They don't work. have beliefs. Right. Um, a researcher named Schwartz took water. Not living tissue, just water. Applied, I believe it was Reiki, to the water. Hmm. And observed that it changed the infrared reflectivity. Basically the temperature of the water. Um, and he also did a statistical analysis, and it was also less than one in a thousand chance of coincidence. So when people say, you know, oh, all this energy healing is just placebo and coincidence. Well, 15 years ago, before this research was done, that was a completely reasonable position. Today, is it placebo? Well, it affects cells in a petri dish. It affects plant clippings in water, and it affects just a glass of water. None of those things are placebo. Right, they can be controlled by beliefs. Yeah, and it has a less than one in a thousand chance that this is coincidence for multiple studies. Do you think it could have been the researchers' beliefs that they measured it incorrectly or or influenced the outcome that way? You know, these researchers are professionals. They they, they don't only do energy research. They, They also do a lot of other mainstream research These guys know how to, I mean, when you test the infrared reflectivity of water, you get out your infrared reflectivity meter and you point it at the water and a number pops up on it, right? Right. I mean, this this is not a deep belief of the researcher, you know, thinking that, oh, I think my pain is a little bit less, right? This is a physics instrument telling us that that glass of water is changed. I assume there was a control group as well, or a control yeah, yeah, glass yeah. of water, because that's exactly. part of the scientific method is to, so that you can compare the, the, the control group, the, the, the effect on the control group, which was presumably nothing. That's right. Exactly. To and, and the effect with the experimental group. Correct. And by the way, these aren't like the only two studies that have been done. Um, these are just like my two favorite ones. There have been, you know, not thousands, but dozens of studies like these that that demonstrate astounding results. Hmm. Um, And so here's the punchline. When people say, when the skeptics say that in order to accept energy healing, that means accepting a whole new paradigm of physics, a whole new set of findings and breakthroughs that would have to be made in order to understand this phenomenon, they are right. But that doesn't mean that this thing doesn't exist. That doesn't means mean that, it doesn't work. that when we understand energy healing, when we understand the physics of it, it's going to lead to the next century of scientific breakthroughs in physics and chemistry and biology and the next generation of technology. And, and that's may- the punchline. Maybe a unified theory that Einstein wasn't able to get to. Could be. You never know. I do want to talk about sex. Because <laughs> this show is called Sexploration with Monica. And I've, I mean, I do like healing because, you know, if you're healed, <laughs> you're probably going to have a better time with sexuality. Um, but let's, let's go back to thinking about not just healing energy, but sexual energy. And I kind of think 
that all the energies are sort of related. Like certainly chi or, you know, life energy, in order to experience life and to feel sexy and to feel good, you have to have some amount of health, right? Absolutely. Um, but you're saying they're not exactly the same energy or that they can be... I remember you telling me about uh, a study you did in your 20s and when you tried to go back and influence sexy time energy, it, it didn't have the same kind of effects, Mike. First of all, I love that you call this a study because it was just like making out with women in my it. 20s. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I would be making out with a partner and I would be getting all turned on and I would build some energy and I was just like, hey, let, let's, let's try this. You know, let, let me see what happens if I channel some energy to you. And I channeled energy to her and she spontaneously had an orgasm. And you're like, oh. And I was like, wow, well, that was neat. cool. And she thought that was great also. So we started playing around with this a lot. And I tested out be, being, uh, you know, in my early 20s, I thought that I should channel the energy to her genitals. Right. And it turned out that did almost nothing. Wow. And that what you want to do is channel the energy to her head. Oh, that the, the brain is the really is the, the, the seat of arousal right. and orgasm and all of this. And I did this with several partners, and one of them was an energy worker herself, mm. and she channeled the energy back to me, and I had an energy orgasm, which doesn't create ejaculation. Uh-huh. You don't make a mess in your pants, oh. but it's really cool. Right. And so it's not like the crotch sneeze mm-hmm. that... <laughs> the crotch you, sneeze. Right. And then, but you, is it like waves of energy all over your body? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like this, this waves of arousal and... and pleasure. Muscle convulsion and pleasure, and as a guy, and, and as well, but, but you know, you, you can have multiple of them. It's great. great. And then, yeah, it's hard to describe an orgasm because, and they're all different. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the difference between like the crotch sneeze ejaculation orgasm and like an energy orgasm is it could be more gentle and it could have more distinct waves rather than feeling kind of like, I don't know if you, the, the big um, convulsion orgasms kind of feels like, I don't know, it can be quite violent. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'll say from my own experience, a lot of times the pre-ejaculation moment is, is the money moment for me. The ejaculation oh, right is no big deal. Right before the orgasm, is feeling the most pleasurable and then it's less pleasurable when you're actually ejaculating. Yeah, and, and I've done experiments on myself. Sure, you, repeat, <laughs> you repeat the experience? In my 20s. Sure. You're like, well, uh, what if I do this? What if I just keep going to uh-huh. that place and then like coming back? stimulating? Right. and, oh, and not like and not approaching, but don't actually go right. over the cusp. And it, it would go all night. Wow. And it was like over and over and over again. Right. As long as you didn't have a climax or ejaculate, you could keep building up to a peak and then back off and then build up again. Yes, yes. That's, uh, I, I, I called that the Isaac Hayes effect. Right. Because <laughs> Isaac Hayes? Isaac Hayes is a singer who's, who's got a really low, sexy voice, and he'd do the, he's like, he's like yeah. He did, he, he did Shaft. You probably heard that <laughs> okay, song. Sure. John Shaft. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he would do these long songs that would just be like building, 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 and women would just go crazy for it. And um, I found that I... 
un- kind of understand it too. I I like that too. Like sure. it's not about the climax; it's about the the path, and, and sometimes like getting the there journey. and then coming mm-hmm. back, and getting sure. there and coming back, and they then you can go all night. In some places, yeah, right. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit more about your explorations with sensual or sexual energy with partners, um, because I know that's a little bit different than what you do at Healing Lab. Absolutely. So, so first, I just want to uh, uh, mention, when most people talk about like sexual energy, what they mean is, is like, right, like chemistry, like, 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 you know, I like how she looks at me and, and she likes how I caress her. And all that stuff is awesome. Uh, and, and when I'm talking about the term I use is erotic energy. Um, I'm specifically talking about using chi to create sexual pleasure. Um, And so that was in my early 20s. And then I got a new job and moved across the country and was just like focused on work and and moving in and all that stuff for like six months. And also doing a lot with uh, uh, different types of energy for like healing and for like not feeling so tired at the end of the day and all that stuff. And it turned out that in training myself to do better energy healing and better energy for fatigue and stuff like that, I was training myself away from the energy for uh, uh, erotic energy, for creating orgasms, for that kind of thing. And And how did you get back to the sexual part? So I gave it up for like, I, I kind of, you know... Hit the reset button? No, there was no reset button. See, here's the thing. I didn't deeply understand how to make erotic energy. It was something that just kind of worked, right? I got all turned on and I visualized some energy and hey, it worked. And I had no idea of how it worked. So there was no reset button to hit. 10 years later, in my 30s, I got back to this. I started looking more at pain at how nerves experience short-term effects at the different states of mind for being focused or relaxed or or alert or getting to sleep. I started working with insomnia. And doing all of this work with nerves led me to a deeper understanding of the energy signatures of nerves and of which energy signatures are involved in erotic energy and the energy that, that, that leads to orgasms and to sexy feelings and to sensations and stuff like that. Um, and so now with partners, I'm, you know, uh, uh, experimenting on not just building energy in my own aroused state, but sensing energy, sensing the energy of their body. and of their brain as they get more and more turned on. One of the really fun things to do is to recognize uh, what their energy is and in my body, build some energy in that signature. So building their aroused energy, not my aroused energy. And it feels a little different. And it's a really neat experience to have a different type of chi, of aroused chi in my body. Um, And to then channel that to my partner and let them experience that sort of like elevated pleasure to track how their chi changes as they go from like kind of turned on to getting closer to orgasm to actually climaxing. One fun thing to do is to take the energy as they climax and build that and channel it to them as they come down. And sometimes that leads to a really long, slow, uh, uh, coming down period. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it is all about awareness and mm-hmm. sharing and... Communication. Right. Yeah. And communication. And anyone can bring that to their own uh, sexual pleasure and enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on Sexploration with Monica. Mike Sententia of HealingLab.org. We do need to take a quick break. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. We're going to stay with Russ of the Rock and Roll Nurse. So stay close. This is FCC Free Radio, Sexploration with Monica. You are listening to San Francisco's number one internet radio station, FCC Free Radio. Live with you here at our studios down at 7th and Market in the Old Fellows Building. This is my first Sexploration with Monica for a while, and it's, it's feeling pretty fun, feeling pretty good. Um, it's a little bit... Uh, we've got Russ, the rock and roll nurse. He's my token straight guy. Thank you so much for coming back on Sexploration with Monica. And teaching you about Isaac Hayes? Yeah, Isaac Hayes. Ooh, I think you're. I think I turned on the microphone. Oh, wrong uh, microphone. Uh, there you uh, are. Yeah, I was just Hi, making Russ. a, a, a uh, clever about statement Isaac about Isaac Hayes. Yeah. Uh, who's? And now that I think of it, he's he's the king of kind of like building and then. Letting oh, go the and then building guy. and then yes, letting go. Exactly. And he'll do that for songs lasting 15 minutes. And it's like this crazy oral multiple orgasm. So check him out. Well, the, uh, <laughs> the pathway of like, so they did some scientific study and the, the average female cycle for arousal and completion is 15 minutes. So it makes sense oh, that my. Isaac's, uh, <laughs> his, his entire, you know, climax to arousal to climax cycle is 15 minutes long. That makes total sense. I think an entire generation was born to his records, but that's, that's, my, oh, that that's probably, my, my personal opinion. Oh, and you could like see who was listening to those to- and like if they <laughs> had different experiences because of that. How interesting. Express. Anyway, uh, and we're here today with um, Joseph Talley. You are the producer of Theater Rhinoceros, and uh, right now on stage is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, That's the musical. Right. That's it's right. not the first time that you guys have had this on the stage. Uh, I saw the old trailers; very funny. And this new version is really saucy and exciting. I was, I was actually a little shocked. Well, good, good. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Um, good work. People... I mean, it's hard to shock me, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, people were surprised last year, I think, because it's a big musical and we're a small theater company. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of wondering, where would the theater, theater Rhinoceros be able to pull it off? And it was a huge hit last year, kind of what they call a runaway hit. Mm. No one expected it. And so we brought it back this year because it was so much fun and a lot of people were eager to bring it to see it again so Mm -hmm. so yeah we've got it running over at the gateway theater and it seems like you have a lot of different cast yes yes um the leads uh are mostly the same um two of the three leads uh did come back another person who was in the cast last year stepped up into that third lead so um the leads are people that people would have seen before but as far as the ensemble the dancers and so forth we've got a lot of new people there you know the really saucy scene where it's almost like a threesome on stage and there's 
pasties and it just seems like really almost making out on stage. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. See, it's a very memorable scene. And I'm wondering if that was in the first one or if it's always been like that. Is that in the script? Uh, The song is in the script, and it's supposed to be a pretty racy song and performance. Uh, Last year, we did not have the uh, woman with the pasties in that scene. That got added this year because we had a woman who could do it and who could do that dance, and she was willing to do it. So uh, you always use the resources at hand, and she was one of our resources this year. Yeah, she seems so brave. Yeah, yeah. And willing to put it all out there. She puts it all out there. The two guys who dance, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes with her, sometimes with each other, sometimes with the uh, central character in that mm-hmm. scene. Uh, as they all become more and more undressed, uh, yeah, they just really throw themselves into it enthusiastically. Now, are the different um, the different ways that you tell a story? Um, do you think it changes how your audience accepts it, or do you think that the theater rhinoceros, mm, I don't know, family or your audience members, your subscribers, do you think that they are pretty, there's nothing you can do to shock them after this long of, of subscribing to theater rhinoceros? I'm sure we might be able to shock them. Yeah. Um, that's always a, a good thing, you know, because to, to, yeah. you're bringing new things. You know, it's interesting with Priscilla. Um, I did not see the Broadway touring production, but I heard it was pretty tame. It's like they almost wanted to play down the gay aspect mm-hmm. of it, which is odd because it's <laughs> two like, drag queens and a transsexual, what? you know, on Telling this trip across story. the desert. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, there is a sweet love story between the transsexual and a cisgendered male in it mm-hmm. that um, is very chaste, almost, the way it's presented in the uh, play. And I heard that well, it's... Even the, yeah, I it's, would say that I didn't see much. I mean, he's wearing overalls the whole time. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's very chaste. And I think that became kind of the... In the uh, touring production, that became... Uh, kind of the grounding relationship, and the other two, uh, they uh, actors, they tried to play down the gay aspect of it, but um, and that was you know a Broadway touring production. They were probably going for a more middle America audience, but we're theater rhinoceros. You're uh, in San we, Francisco. We're in San Francisco. You're the universe's oldest queer production company. That's right, longest running for sure. Yeah. So tell us uh, a little bit about when Theater Rhinoceros started. Did you, I mean, you started in San Francisco, so you were in the queer community already. Exactly, yeah. It came out of the queer community. It was 1977 uh, at a time when uh, it was still kind of shocking and edgy uh, when mainstream theaters would do gay themes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would certainly occasionally see it, but... Um, it was like I say. It was you know there. That was when uh, the established theaters were being edgy, uh, which doesn't really create an atmosphere or a space where queer artists can then experiment and thrive uh, and develop new works. And so, basically, some um, a couple of gay men decided to start a theater company. Uh, they did their first production in a. Uh, South of Market Bar uh, in 1977. Uh, it was hugely successful, so they just kept doing it. And, um, you know, 40, 41 years later, here we are still producing queer theater. 
what are some of the th- risks that you can take as a queer theater company? What are some of the productions that you can do or that you are doing? Uh, you know, we can, um, it can always, sex um, is still a radical act on stage, especially mm-hmm. uh, among same, or between same sex. Even just showing sensuality. Showing sexuality. Um, you know, in Priscilla, you see, you know, a lot of clothes come off. Uh, there's no full nudity mm-hmm. in it, uh, but we do have that in some of our other shows. Uh, we don't choose shows for that, uh, but we know there's a huge segment of our audiences, you know, that just they do want to see uh, some very, very sexy shows. Um, I guess as far as the edginess that we're trying for now, uh, it's just is bringing in populations that tend to be ignored even or marginalized even within the LGBTQ community. So that's why you're seeing more trans, more African-American, um, you know, different ethnicities who just not, are not, not part of the, um, well, mainstream America or mainstream gay America. One of the shows that I saw that unfortunately I didn't actually write it down to remember, it was uh, from the Victorian days, and it was two lesbians, and I think was one of them pretending to be a man. It was like a love story, and there was a black woman, and then there was another black woman. Yeah, yeah, that was two ladies and a woman. No, and a lady was, and a woman. A lady and a woman. Oh, that's what the name right. of the show, A right. Lady and a Woman. By Shirlene Holmes. Right. Which is really... And they were African-American, African-American right? American in the South in the late... Uh, 19th 18, century. Right. Yeah, 1800. In the 18, late 1800s, wasn't it? And exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, well, this is going to be a, a pretty heavy story of you mm-hmm. know, what kind of obstacles and prejudices were they facing. Uh, but I guess it's radical because it's just this sweet love story of these two women finding each other, mm-hmm. establishing the relationship. And at the end, you know, they're going off. They've There's a baby that they can adopt. And so they're they're making a family, you know, mm-hmm. and this was African-American women written by an African-American woman, you know, about African-American women in the South. Uh, and, um, yeah, so, I mean, you're, like I said, you're expecting to see something heavy and kind of maybe even gruesome and violent, but it's very, very sweet. It's a love story. I don't remember it being gruesome and violent. Not at all. Not at all. I do remember it being sad. I mean, there was certainly themes of abuse and... Um, I do remember feeling really sorry for the characters, mm-hmm. certainly, and I imagine that it was really hard to be both gay and black and a woman, you know, in those times. It's not like... Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. You know, birth control and racism and, you know, Exactly, all yeah. Were... Well, and I think there's a scene in there where it's uh, another black woman in the community um, stops and is kind of taunting one mm-hmm. of them. But what's interesting is that woman feels bad the fact that she, looking back, she said, I should have stood up for us more. You know, she was a very, this very, very strong woman. And it wasn't a sad, she was crying that she had not stood up more strongly to this woman, uh, as opposed to she wasn't feeling a victim by any means. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that the cast uh, gets to look forward to for the next... Because I know you're doing the show for the next week. It's going to close right. on the 7th, isn't it? That's right. What are some of the things that the cast is doing um, to kind of keep it alive um, as they're 
continuing the run. Well, you know, it's a very um, physically demanding show. I bet. And we've had a few injuries uh, in it. And so uh, as those happen, the, the cast is amazing. I mean, I, I had one person, I was uh, back in the dressing room helping him. He was in tears because of the pain. Uh, he had torn oh, a ligament, no. essentially, oh. uh, as well as the pain that he felt like he was letting everyone down and he needed to go on. Right. Um, and we were saying, no, you can't you go really on. You should or do If you go on, you stand study, still. Right. Oh, That's right. Standing still must be really hard. Yeah. And the thing is, we're a small theater company. We can't right. afford understudies. Uh, oh. We're barely paying the actors as it is. We pay them, but just not a living wage. We want to respect them as professionals. But right. uh, so the thing is, what the cast is having to do is pull together and actually re choreograph, restage and some of the scenes. Reblock. Um, there's a bus that has to get moved around on that stage. Oh yeah. And um, so different people are having to learn how to move that bus. And so, in a lot of ways, it's just the physical demands are keeping the show fresh because uh, they're having to recreate it. You know, almost not a daily basis, but every few days something changes and they have to make adjustments. Oh, the joy of live theater. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Are there any other live theater moments that you can share with us from this production? This production. Um, or it's others. Al- well, sure. Yeah. No, it's always fun. You know, this has some audience uh, participation where we go down mm-hmm. oh, that uh, so into fun. the audience, pull some people up on mm-hmm. stage to do some dancing, which is fun. Um And I don't know if this was planned, but before the show, like, as people were, like, I don't know, waiting for the show to start, you guys played I Will Survive. And me and another, she must have been another fruit fly fag hag like me who knows all the words to the song. Right, right. And we both started singing together. And I don't know, do you play that song in the audience on purpose? For, well, yeah. I mean, because yeah, it we, is we such a sing-along are, song. Yeah, think to get people in the mood. Um, and we try and remember to tell people in our curtain speech, you know, as we're you know, saying, you know, turn off your cell phones, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, but you can also sing along. You can also dance along if you want to. So, right. so yeah, and, and we do get that. You know, I, I've stood at the back of the auditorium, and um, the actors are mic, so I can always hear them really well. But I can always, uh, there's other people singing along as well. Yeah. Well, if you're going to play, I will survive. I mean, it's <laughs> hard to resist. I will survive. Well, it's, it's raining have, men. It's raining yeah. men. I mean, and how can what are you some of the other long? like big showstopper songs in that? Oh, um, well, there's uh, MacArthur Park, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, a big showstopper. There's a couple of songs that I was not really familiar with. Um, what Color My World is one, and I think maybe that was an Australian pop song that mm-hmm. they no, did. No, no, uh, Chicago. Did Chicago? Yeah. No, Chi- no, it, it's not the slow. Oh, oh Yeah. Oh. No, uh, this is a, a fast, upbeat song. Okay, you know? okay, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, no, another that's what I'm aware of, yeah. Another yeah. Color My World. And yeah. there was a song where I think it was in Italian or some foreign language, mm-hmm. but she was sitting on top of the bus in her big sparkly headdress, and she was singing, and I was imagining her like out on the desert, and just her singing, and just the way she was like doing all of the really high notes. Exactly, Almost exactly. Like, and, of course, she's lip-syncing. You know, that right. is a lip-sync. Mm-hmm, uh, mo- most of the act, but, but, but I mean, she was milking it. She was playing it. it. Exactly. She really was being those high notes, even in her whole body, even as she was lip-syncing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And that's always, um, 
I, I know my box office uh, manager says I have to go in for that song because he wants to see that song every night. It's, it's just, always a showstopper. She, like, at, uh, like, I think, isn't that the moment where the bus breaks down it in does. the middle of right, the desert? Right. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, and maybe people have seen the movie already, um, but uh, there are some... Some tragic moments, some some moments where you are like, oh, you know, like this, some terrible things can happen to gay people, right. especially when they're out in the country and they're not in the warm cocoon of Sydney. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. We when we first decided to do this like two or three years ago, um, we thought, well, this is going to be kind of a fun remembrance because Barack Obama was still president. You know, uh, LGBT marriage had been oh, legalized. When it was those, so the good old it, days, the, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, now two now years ago, we're yeah. so <laughs> Just moving two years forward ago. into the future where there's no more troubles with being gay. I know, I know. And then, and so we thought, oh, this is just going to be a historical piece, a period right. piece. But suddenly, by the time we're putting it on, it's like, oh no, you can imagine people running when into this. Um, Well, there actually was a rise at the most recent Pride where there's instances of of bashing even here in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And I think I saw there were, you know, some church people out on a corner about, you know, with their signs for repent Mm -hmm. at this Pride, which I hadn't seen them for a few years. So Mm -hmm. they they seem a little more bold. So, So, yeah, this fun dance along musical actually has these social. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, overtone, undertones, overtones, mm-hmm. you know, it's got meaning, mm-hmm. more meaning now. Right. Yeah. What are some of the next things for Theater Rhinoceros? What are you guys up to? Some exciting things, actually. Uh, as we move Priscilla out, we're going to be moving Oedipus at Palm Springs in, which is written by the five lesbian brothers. Uh, the five lesbian brothers. <laughs> yes, and I wish I could name them women? all for you, but Lisa Crone, uh, okay. who has gone on to write, uh, she did uh, Fun Home, Fun House, and uh, she's she's been very successful on Broadway. But it was her and four colleagues who have been together for several years, and they've been so writing it's lesbians plays. who are women, and then they are brothers in a brotherhood of lesbians. They think so of themselves are... as brothers, yes, and, and they would write these plays and star in them as well. Got it. Yeah, so so this is you know set in an all women's uh, guest house in Palm Springs, and <laughs> it's oh, uh, gender. you know some old friends are getting together and. Uh, Secrets are revealed. Um, a lot of drama happens, but it's also a lot of fun too because it's a bunch of old friends, a bunch of old dykes getting together, you know, and they have fun. <laughs> they know each other, right? Yeah. And um, so the brotherhood is uh, an assumed brotherhood, but not you're not actually men. Oh no, They're no, 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 lesbians no, no. And, and I should emphasize that all the characters are women. And um, the five lesbian brothers are just a group like of a, lesbians who call themselves brothers, brothers. you know, it's and they're just bra. playing they're, and they're kind of just playing like kind with of the language. The punch there. in the shoulder bra. Rather right. Than, right. Yes. Yeah. And they're not dainty by any means. Right. Yeah. Well, are they um, what's the word? Um, oh, not tinks, not twinks, not. Di- oh, maybe dykes. Is that the word? Bulldyke? Is that is that a good word? Well, as far we as the like characters the that bulldike? they wrote. Uh, in the play, yeah, there's uh, one who's definitely kind of a bull dyke, a uh, couple of uh, just very middle-of-the-road lesbians who have a kid, and they're dealing with um, what's happened to their sex life since the kid was born, and uh, similar to what a lot, of, you know, a lot of straight or gay people go through in 
childhood. Yeah. Well, yeah. I imagine that some of the issues in the relationships of gay people, it's the same relationship issues that anyone has, like the sex doldrums and exactly. the seven-year itch. And sure, it was all lovey-dovey in the honeymoon phase, but after three to nine months, the pheromones wear off and you start to have to How do you keep it alive? A yeah. domestic partnership and your socks are kind of smelly and we're really working all the time. And, and there's a, if there's a kid thrown mm-hmm. into the mix who's crying all the time and needs to be mm-hmm. fed and changed and so forth, that's mm-hmm. pretty distracting. And also having to work so hard to pay rent. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that these are families that are pair bonds. They're not like multiple family groups. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's yeah. All... In this show, in this particular show. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with the gay community, just you can do pair bonded relationships. And I think that's our tradition as a culture. Um, but starting to think about like how if you're not privileging the pair bond, like how you could have a family of three people or five people four or five or, yeah exactly yeah. like yeah and at, you know we have a reading series and um that happens at spark arts the first tuesday of every month spark arts spark arts is okay. an art gallery in the castro mm-hmm. um and one of the shows that we've got coming up you know deals with polyamory and this polyamorous family that is facing some challenges and uh, i was really happy that we were able to include that because that's one of those it's not a pairing. It's a bonding you know, experiences that we haven't really looked at, but it's under the whole queer umbrella, I think. And so, oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that's another thing we've got coming up. It's called the Pied Pipers of the Lower East Side. So you can find information on that on our website too. So, so yeah, that's yeah. I'm looking forward to that one that's very a, much. One of the things that I really appreciate about the queer umbrella is that it keeps adding more letters. So it's LGBTQIAA. And like, right. as and so we now we're going to have to add P's. Yeah. Oh, what's a P? The polyamory. 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 Oh, okay, yeah. good. Because I know that there's asexual and. Right. Intersex, of mm-hmm. course. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is just, they've always been there. It's right. just. Um, now we want to name them we and name include them, acknowledge them, them. And acknowledge yeah. them. Right. And I think that's really important because I think. One of the things with otherness and feeling like I'm bad, I'm a freak, and like really reversing that is just to say, hey, I exist. There's something very valuable about my experience. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, that's really a a big part of what Rhino wants to do is find these people. I mean, gay people are marginalized. We started the theater because there was no space for gay people. But as we've... Um, well, now know, made it's San progress. Francisco, and it's the Castro, and it's actually more normal to be gay in, exactly. some, in the but, Castro, certainly. But then there are still people within the gay community who are marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just now learning about... Intersectionality. Yeah, inter- exactly. Uh, where you you know are one or two or three things. Mm-hmm. Um, so Because you have different... So intersectionality, just to explain it a little bit, is when you have two things that influence your identity. So maybe you're black or your, I mean, what are some other things? Well, black, you know, any ethnic minority who is mm-hmm. also gay mm-hmm. uh, or lesbian. Um, if you're could be class, trans, could be could class be, issues. Mm-hmm, gender. Right, right. Yeah, so there's a lot of different things that your identity can be either um, 
uh, it could make you a part of the target group and the more um, different colors in your rainbow that make you um, not in the dominant culture power group um, it can really change your experience and and it just makes it really a lot harder and it also makes you um, like it's a riskier population group do you know what I mean it, we're talking about Definitely. epidemiology or um, violence uh, there's a lot of different things right, that yeah, we need and to then think about alienation as you know mm-hmm. as if you're Loneliness, an african-american lesbian mm-hmm. um, you may in the lesbian community be surrounded mostly by white women um, who d- are not going to understand or appreciate and sometimes will actually you know might be insulting to you as a black person but then in the black community you may not be accepted uh, for your same-sex uh, attraction orientation, so right. has there so, been yeah. much of an exploration of homeless, gay, or bisexual? There hasn't been people? Um, that I'm aware of. There, a few plays that um, I know have dealt with homeless people. It's generally youth that they're looking at, which mm. uh, is definitely uh, that's something that's important to look at. Uh, though, on the other hand, I mean, just there's uh, there's middle-aged gay people out there who are living on the streets. Yes. You know, they, they, there's basically you know, these huge populations that we haven't really started to look at. And um, in a lot of ways it gets tougher because I could not go out – well, I could, but I could go out and interview a bunch of uh, homeless men, say, who identify as gay and write a play about it. But I'm not a homeless person. It's been becomes – more and more important that we want to provide a space for people to tell their own stories Mm -hmm. and not come in and do it for them from the top down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's super important. Um, so what are the things that are coming up next for, um, theater rhinoceros? Well, uh, like I said, Oedipus at Palm Springs, um, we have a couple of musicals coming up next year in our season. We're doing the boy from Oz, which, uh, is basically a jukebox musical where it's, you know, songs that already exist were, that were pretty much written by Peter Allen, who was a uh, song and dance man in Love the him. 70s and 80s. <laughs> and he was married to Liza Minnelli, so his mother-in-law was Judy Garland, and you don't get any gayer than that. And he was gay. Um, so it's a very, very gay story. And then we're going to be doing Sister Act um, this time next year. Oh, the story with Whoopi Goldberg. The, Whoopi the Goldberg. The choir singing one. Exactly. But we have permission for... Um, both the Mother Superior and the Whoopi Goldberg character to be played by men. So we're going to be <laughs> definitely queering it up and playing, doing some gender, gender play things there. Yay. Okay, I'm going to just communicate with John Miller. What am I playing? I want to play something next to take a quick break. Because I'm, I'm going to, we're going to interview uh, seeing, re- oh, so hit the play button. Ah, okay. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the show, Joseph Talley. You're quite welcome. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more stuff from Theater Rhinoceros. Thank you. And um, also hitting, again, the oldest queer theater in the known universe. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another week of Priscilla. People can come out on July 4th to see it. We're going to be performing Half price tickets. Oh, half price tickets. That's yeah. great. Yeah, if they uh, they you know go to in, on the J- July fourth, use the code fireworks. They'll get half off. So mm-hmm. we'd love to see them there. Lovely, cool. Come and well, sing and dance. Yeah. Oh, and it is so fun to sing along, and it's totally acceptable to sing along in the audience. So get your 
freak flag of flying. And uh, thank you, Joseph, for coming on Sexploration with Monica. It's been Joseph a pleasure. Joseph Talley of uh, Theater Rhinoceros. Um, Russ, we're going to take a little break. He's the rock and roll nurse. And I'm going to press play and just hope for something good to happen. Music, please. This is Monica Thomas. We are doing Sexploration with Monica, and uh, we've explored a lot of themes today, everything from sexual energy to sexual healing, and we were dabbling in musicals with theater rhinoceros, and now we are with a mime star, Rotini Oh, I was practicing, and now I ag... Ag Babiaka. Babiaka. <laughs> Rotimi, thank you so much for coming on Sexploration with me. You're Monica. welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so our token straight guy is Russ, the um, rock and roll nurse. Oh, he's still um, here. Yes, thank <laughs> you It's nice to hear on. a mime speak. Well, we, that's, <laughs> we that is what really we do in, the, in San Francisco Mime Troop. We actually speak and sing. So, yeah, so we don't do silent... Mime. We put on um, original plays with music, musicals um, about um, political issues. And your recent production is called Seeing Red. It actually is about communism, which has been a dirty word in mm-hmm. this country ever since the 50s. Yeah, so it's actually well about socialism. Communism is specifically what was practiced um, in, in Russia, the sort of state, state run. Um, but uh, socialism is something that's been around since you know the 19th century at the earliest. And our play actually goes back to 1912 when socialism was a very big movement in America. And that's why it's called Seeing Red, a time-traveling musical. Is that right? That's correct, yes. And tell us a little bit, is, is there a time machine in the play? There is a, a time machine of sorts. There's is it like... <laughs> 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 well, you'll have to come see the play to find out. But there I is time know, travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, we have a, a protagonist who is from present day who gets to travel back uh, to 1912 and to uh, and, um, other points in history uh, to learn about our socialist past. So I just read some articles, but here's what I recall. And we are thinking about uh, Trump as much as I hesitate <laughs> to say his name because I really just want to pretend like it's not happening, but it's still <laughs> happening. I, I call him by his porn name, David Dennison. Oh, <laughs> I think that's more appropriate. How did you right. get that name? Yeah. Uh, he, he got, he, well, somebody, either his so like, lawyer or he oh. put it in the documents oh. uh, that involve Stormy Daniels, uh, uh, the David adult movie actress. Well, we can because that's what his name used to be before his family changed it to Trump. He used to go by there you Trump. Go. Or John Olson. He's used that one before oh. John, uh, I'm sorry, uh, not John Olson. Uh, 
It'll come, come back. It'll come back to me. He's got he's got a bunch of names. So. Yeah. so the horror that we are all living in is that we have a reality television show as our president, mm-hmm. and um, the the campaign promises is what this narrative is about in your play. So they're like, okay, I used to believe what Trump said was true. I was rooting for the coal miners. I thought America was going to be great again, but now it's two years later and nothing has happened. So what's happening? Right? Exactly. Yes. Our protagonist is someone who voted for uh, Dan Dennison. Danny Dennison. David Dennison. David Dennison. And um, DD. DD. I know. That's (laughs) double D. Uh, And, um, uh, and it has buyer's remorse, yes. Right. He's realized that America like, is, is not <laughs> great again, yeah. as if it ever really was. Um, and, and yeah, and, and wants to escape, wants to seize no way out, no alternative. Um, this is a person who's watched their town what, and their personal situation get worse and worse over the years and has lost all faith in, in the current system, but sees no alternative. And so they go back. Uh, they get to escape and go back to a time when people had hope that there could be um, an alternative, a brighter future, um, something different. And I'm from the Midwest, and mm. I know that there was stuff going on in Wisconsin. Yeah. There was stuff going on in Kansas. Yeah. They, those were not what they well, look they like now. today yeah. at all. Totally. A hundred years ago. Yeah, and that's the premise of this show. This person is from uh, Ohio specifically, and uh, they're from a town that, yeah, that used to be a socialist hotbed and is now, you know, deep red. As in, you know, Republican. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, but Wisconsin has had a socialist mayor, uh, socialist congressman and mayor uh, yeah, in Milwaukee. Kucinich. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, lots of these places that, that are um, deeply red now, yeah, had really strong socialist movements. Um, and it's amazing to watch how over um, more than a century, um, th- th- so much has changed. Um, while so much has you know stayed the same, unfortunately. Have you heard, or have you heard some backlash? People worried about socialism and thinking that it's kind of a dirty word. Well, that definitely is something that is, has been part of our history. Thinking of socialism as something dirty, but it's really wonderful that we live in a time when you know just two years ago, uh, a democratic socialist came pretty close to being the the democratic nominee, nominee. for um, mm-hmm. for president. Bernie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then there was a woman yeah. who's uh, who identifies socialist who won in a major major That's right. major upset. primary yeah. in New York. That's New, right. Was it New York eighteen or something? Yeah, New York. Yeah, just a few days ago. Um, and um, yeah. I mean, we we've, we're at a time when people, I think, are so um, fed up with the current system and are so ready for something new. And it feels like there is a renewed interest in alternatives such as socialism and figuring out other ways to live in our society, ways that are not about just pursuing, you know, private profit, but are about, you know, the commonwealth, the wealth of all the people. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's all this, you know, research about how, you know, more and more people are looking up socialism. The younger generation doesn't have the same um, associations as, you know, the generation that lived through the Cold War. Um, and, and you know, socialism got so besmirched by some of the really, you know, terrible regimes that, you know, have used its name. But the idea of it ultimately is about, you know, participation is about, you know, the wealth of the land being shared among Many and not just, you know, a few people, which is something I think a lot of people can <laughs> appreciate or desire. Right. Um, so as a member of San Francisco Mime Troop, do you think that first 
your mission is political activism. Is that what I'm hearing? It is. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we over the course of our, you know, almost 60 year history, we have that's been our, our, our guiding principle has been about, you know, um, using theater for political change, using theater to um, afflict the comfortable and uh, comfort the afflicted to, um, to to show the forces that, you know, rule our lives and to give people some vision of how we might overcome you know the bad forces and Mm -hmm. and have a better society so yeah very much that's you know our number one mission what are some of the the other shows that you've done what are some of the other stories that you've told yeah well i've done quite quite a few shows um last year we did a show um uh our theme was immigration and it was a show about an ice agent who falls in love with an undocumented immigrant um in the theater it does at least um (laughs) um, and uh, yeah i've done shows about um uh, privatization of public education we had a show actually two years ago um uh, before the election where uh, we we talked about the privatization of public education and had a school board election where there were some uh, characters who might have been loosely related to the three main candidates running. And in that version of the story, the uh, Trump character won the election. And people were like, oh, that could never happen. That'll never happen. And yeah. um, we kind of, <laughs> unfortunately, we didn't want we're to living be calling in that it. Reality. But we were trying yeah. to warn people that if you don't, if you don't mobilize, you know, this could happen. And right. um, unfortunately, it did. It's so funny. I remember maybe a year before the election, Pussy Riot had written some kind of article as a warning or something. Um, But she was talking about Vladimir Putin Mm. and warning people that everyone laughed at Putin and yet he actually won the presidency. And like it could happen. And of course, there was a part of me that was like, oh, no, (laughs) it couldn't happen here. Donald Trump could never be our president, but then it really did happen. Mm -hmm. And we're in this global contraction where it's all populism and the the French are suffering and the Hungarians are suffering. Mm -hmm. And I'm really seeing um, popularism and this weird contraction of like inventing this idea of the past Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, afraid and phobic of diversity and change and plurality Mm. and probably even technology, Mm. but just coming from a place of fear and wanting to contract Mm. and scapegoat. Right. And just seeing other people as the scapegoats, well, the, uh, but not the, the actual people who were responsible for the terrible changes. Like, the billionaires mm-hmm. and yeah well yeah know? that's the thing with populism i mean there are there are you know two strands of populism or at least two spec you know ends of the spectrum and you know i mean uh, populism you know a lot of times is a really responding to very real fears and real conditions i mean it's no um uh, lie that you know over the past you know few decades people have really seen their quality of life go down wages mm-hmm. have stayed so low prices go up i mean mm-hmm. in our city san francisco we got on the street and more and more people are homeless more and more people are really, really struggling. So there are real things people are responding to. But, you know, there are two waves of populism. And one wave says, you know, it's the Mexicans, it's the Muslims who are responsible. Mm-hmm. And another wave, you know, or another Went side of the, the coin, yeah, looks mm-hmm. up, you know, looks looks at the folks on top and says, you know, why, you know, do some people have $100 billion <laughs> when people are dying on the street, when people don't have, you know, health care or food? We, we have so much wealth clean water. in this country and mm-hmm. nobody in this country should be, should have to starve 
you know, there's enough wealth for everyone. So I think, you know, populism gets a bad name because there are negative strands to it. But on the, the positive side, you know, the positive uh, side, which, you know, I think we, we saw in some ways with, you know, um, the Bernie Sanders movement with that kind of uh, activity was that, you know, there is there are people responsible. Or there is a group that's responsible for the misery of lots of people. And we need to just focus on the right group, not, mm-hmm. <laughs> not yeah, the wrong group, not our fellow, you know, fellow working people. And there was such a, a concerted effort to create confusion. Mm-hmm. I think that Bernie Sanders had an, had a message that would appeal to the same people who voted for Mr. Dennison. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. they weren't sure, Agreed. do I blame the immigrants? Mm-hmm. Do I blame the... The capitalists, I yeah. you know, I yeah. I don't know who's who's to blame here, mm-hmm. yeah. and and they, I think the, you know, the, the corporate structure used that mm-hmm. to and, and to uh, get their yeah. guy in very in much sense. so. I mean, that's you know part of you know the journey that our our main character goes through is that they or somebody who would have probably voted for Bernie if he was the, the, or at least would have resonated with his message and did resonate in in our story, but didn't feel like they had a choice and they go back and see people um really identifying you know the forces that are causing the misery and really focusing that's what was so great about the socialist movement it it brought together all these people at a time when it was even harder for them to come together it was people of various races immigrants um black people women you know all coming together So you're saying in 1912 it was even harder for people to get together with diverse groups oh yeah but there was the union movement as well that was that that brought the economic message Mm -hmm. home in a big way into the workplace Mm mm-hmm the IWW and that's all right. that, yeah. and that's that's where the, was there, and that and that's part of the, the first backlash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yeah. The corporate giants had to stop the IWW and the unions. They've done so well. Yeah. There was just a Supreme Court ruling against unions the other day, mm-hmm. yeah. and and unions have been basically completely decimated. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Um, and that I think I don't know if Bernie Sanders really talked about that the unions per se that much yeah yeah i don't know if you did but yeah but that's yeah that's you know so spot on that's probably covered in our, in our show the way that that repression happens and has happened over history um and but you know the the thing that we you know really you know want to emphasize and 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 is that this happens so many, has happened so many times but that progress continues there are things that we have today that this movement the socialist movement um, won for us you know things that we take for granted today the eight hour work day you know a woman's right to vote the end of child labor these are things that they fought for and despite the repression they won these um, victories and have moved us forward as a society as a world and um, and I think the message is that, you know, as dark as things may seem right now, um, you know, the only answer, the only response is to mobilize, to organize, to keep fighting, to keep and working. And there is for always the, the world. midterm elections. Yeah, that's right. Yes. You know, we, have, we, keep, we have all <laughs> kinds of tools. And that's the thing. I'm being, you know, a lot of the current feeling can make a moment, can make one feel like, what can I do? There's nothing we can do. But we have so many tools. And sometimes we forget what they are. Speaking of the IWW, I mean, a lot of those people in that movement were um, couldn't vote. They were women, or they were recent immigrants. They, um, you know, they had so there were certain rights that they didn't have, but they found the rights that they they could use. They found the power that they could use. They could yeah. strike. They could, you know, mm-hmm. slow down on the job. And um, it's about you know figuring out what can you do. We have all sorts of power that we sometimes forget about. As just, know, just to make it clear to people who don't know, <laughs> IWW is International Workers of the World, the right? Industrial Workers, of Industrial the world. Workers yeah. of the World. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and they were a, a union, a, a, a big union um, that was very, very active in the around the time that our play is set in. Um, and how do your audiences react to the play? I mean, it's in Dolores Park. It's going to be in Dolores Park on July 4th. That's right. Um, so I imagine in San Francisco, it's pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do audiences sometimes react to yeah. plays? Well, so far we've only had um, a like few this. preview audiences. Haven't opened the, the show opens on Wednesday, but um, but it's been really great. I mean, I think yeah, well, our audience is really liberal, but um, but part of what we do in the show is really challenge. You know, a lot of the... and do you have rehearsals at Dolores Park? No, we don't. No, we have we have a, a backyard in our in our oh, studio okay. where we where we simulate being outside because okay. <laughs> we do the show outside. But yeah, but um. And you do you have simulated audience reaction? Or do you have like <laughs> well, we, friend, friends and family we have, members? We, we come have to some the invited play? people come over. Yeah, we've okay, had some it. previews with with people. Don't tell them about and, the show. Yeah, giving us a sense of you know what works, what, what jokes are, are funny. Gonna, yeah, yeah, exactly. what people are are picking up and what they're you know sure. not quite oh, sure yeah, about. What goes over their heads? Exactly. So we've had some thankfully some practice and where we you know refining the show to really uh, make it pop um but i i feel like there's there's been a lot of people have learned things they didn't know about which is really great Mm. um and they've had a lot of their notions challenged we actually have um the show is set in you know in a in this town in ohio but but the first scene we have a a character from san francisco who uh, (laughs) finds herself in this town and it's um um a very humorous interaction but also in a way in which i think our um, audience members who are here in San Francisco can see themselves in that world and see some of the ways in which we on the left um, sometimes don't fail to connect with um, people who we should all be we, we should be allies with. You know, we mm-hmm. have the, our own preconceived notions, our own prejudices, um, and so we see how that sort of plays out. And I think that'll be a great way. Can for, you say more about that? Like, yeah. what's an example of someone that you might miss as someone who lives in the yeah. bubble? Yeah. Well, I think you know. I, mean, I think first of all, even just the fact that a lot of us, I, myself included, thought that there was no way Trump could win. You know, well, I and we, if we were that. talking to people you know, <laughs> who, I guess, voted for him or thought about him as a viable option. We might have thought, oh, wait a minute, he, people are actually connecting to this. What's up with that? We need to do mm-hmm. something else. We need to figure out some message that'll reach them. So I think right. that's part of it. Um, and I think it's also part of the perception, you know, that that you know that some of those voters are unreachable. I mean, but some of them probably are. But I think there's a lot of common things that we all are worried about you know and sometimes we can forget about that and we can focus on you know oh they don't sound like me or oh they you know you know have certain cultural differences from me um and i think you know it's helpful just to remember what we have in common and to always emphasize that you know as we move forward how can we build solidarity between as many people as possible so that we don't have you know Something like, or someone like our current president. Yeah, well, we just want to do power this again. again Mister Mister Dennison. Yeah, uh, Mr. his Dennison. his his, <laughs> and and this goes throughout his career. He, he is the master of divide and mm-hmm. conquer. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book. Yeah, Machiavelli wrote about it. Yeah, um, he's he's a master of it. He gets he creates so much conflict that he just kind of wanders in and mm-hmm. he's the voice of stability. Mm-hmm. And so people just choose him because everything else is just all messed up. And, and, uh, and you see him doing that again and again uh, successfully. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, th- I think the, the left 
plays into it sometimes mm-hmm. because there's all this talk of winning and losing. Are we winning? Are they winning? I wish that talk would stop. It's not about winning. It's about working together to yeah, make a better country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, yeah, that's spot on. And that's part of what we explore in the play, too, is like how do we come together, work together? Yeah, it's not, you know, our side wins, we their side loses. We do have two more years. Yeah. <laughs> and how are we going to get through this? Get through and them? what are we going to do? Hopefully by getting together and organizing and educating ourselves and, you know, and figuring out, like, how do we, you know, how do we form a big enough coalition to, you know, to win, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, not to use the winning term, but to win over someone like Trump as opposed to win over our fellow, fellow. Um, well, how do we people. talk to people on the other side? Yes, you know? that's, a, that's important. A time travel journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, I think part of what's exciting about the time travel idea is that it. It takes, you know, in the in the magic of theater, we can go to a different context, right? Because that's part of it. Like, how do we get out of the, the current context? How do we start a conversation that? How do we have a conversation that starts in a new place, right? Like, and 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 well, yeah. And I don't. I, I wish I had the answer or all the answers. But part of it is, you know, uh, telling new stories, maybe, which I think is what we're trying to do with this play. Um, hopefully, you know, people will see things that they may not have seen or or thought of before. That'll help them when they go back home to you know iowa for thanksgiving and <laughs> yeah and are talking to uncle you know jimmy who, <laughs> yeah, who who's Trump. wearing his make america great again hat you know and yeah and and you know and maybe yeah maybe there's yeah figuring out like what what do you and uncle jimmy have in common that might might open up something you know uh, yeah, because, yeah, we've got to figure it out, and I don't have yeah, all the answers. Yeah, because you can't just scream at someone to make their change their mind. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I have a friend yeah. from high school who is you know, a Denison supporter, mm-hmm. and uh, we've, we've struggled yeah. trying to figure out uh, how we can talk with each other about it. Mm-hmm. But by setting ground rules, one of the ground rules we set is you can attack ideas, but you cannot attack people, mm. and we cannot attack each other. That's great. And um, creating that kind of mutual respect yeah. and, and willingness to hear the other side, not necessarily to be persuaded mm-hmm. by the other side, but at least hear what the other side has to say. Yeah. That, that, you know, he and I were, we, we had a relationship from the past where we were able to work that foundation. Yeah. And uh, we, we disagree with each other, but we do it without being disagreeable. And without being this divide and conquer yeah. kind of situation. I think that's spot on. It's like, yeah, how do we have, you know, conversations with each other, you know, and we don't have to agree on everything. But if we can listen to each other and, and, and be listened to, you know, that's, I think, a, a great beginning. You know? Yeah. And he's not a racist. He's not sexist. Mm-hmm. All that stuff has nothing to do with him. It's yeah. the candidate that he voted for. But we need to also see that you vote for people not the whole package yeah. for him. It's yeah. all about economics. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that was, uh, you know, it, yeah. that was a message coming from one side and not so much the other. That's, that's, yeah, I know I hear that. And I think that's part of it. It's like, how do we, you know, how do we address? Yeah. Like that concern, which I, I, I agree, you know, wasn't, Super yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing the show, though, and sitting all together in Dolores yeah, Park and so excited to have thinking you about these yeah. um, big thoughts and moving yeah. forward into a future that's different. Yes, a 
brighter future, please. I'm ready. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, it will. Thanks so we have much to for coming that. on the show, Thank Rotimi. you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Tell us more where we can find uh, more about uh, the Seeing Red show if people yeah. want information on... I mean, it's going to be in Dolores Park on July 4th. It's gonna be, yeah, it's going to be Dolores Park. Else? Yeah, Dolores Park, July 4th is when we open. The um, sh- music at 1.30 p.m., show at 2. Um, you can find our whole summer schedule uh, online at sfmt.org. Uh, that's our full summer schedule, sfmt.org. We'll be running from July 4th through September 9th all over the Bay Area and going up north and going down a little bit south of here um, throughout the summer. So please come see Seeing Red. Uh, it's a time traveling musical. That's right. And thank you so much, Rotimi, for thank coming you for on me. Sexploration with Monica. Russ, thank you for being my token straight guy again. We can <laughs> find you as the rock and roll nurse. Well, no, I actually. Um, Are you not rocking and rolling quite so much anymore? I, just I'm on a my nurse. show? Yeah, just on your show. Oh, that's good. I feel so honored. <laughs> you get a special, special rock version of the rock nursing. and roll nurse. Yes, excellent. Thanks so One much. One night only. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show again. This has been Sexploration with Monica, filmed live at the studios in downtown San Francisco, FCC Free Radio. And thanks for joining us tonight. FCC Free Radio, San Francisco's comedy alternative. Listen online at FCCFreeRadio.com. You can subscribe to Sexploration with Monica on iTunes and have new episodes delivered automatically. Or download free podcasts at sexplorationwithmonica.com.